Hey, we're going to uh, continue in, in our series in Philippians, and actually this is going to be the last day that we're going to be in the book of Philippians again until the new year, until January. Beginning next week, we're going to start our Christmas series, and, uh, and let me just let me talk about that just for a minute. Our Christmas series is titled Known, K-N-O-W-N, Known, and we're going to talk about the fact that Jesus is, is well known anywhere you go uh, across the world that most folks have heard of the name Jesus. They might not understand the name Jesus, but they've heard it, and uh, certainly where we live, Jesus is well known. But the question is, do you really know who Jesus is? There's a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus exists and having a personal relationship with Jesus. And we're going to be talking about that all next month. And so I want to encourage you. We always encourage you to invite your friends. The reason that, that, uh, that we dress the way we do on Sunday mornings, other than the fact that it's comfortable, and the reason that we have this style of music and, and, and everything here is a little more laid back than maybe the church you grow up in, is because we want you to invite people to come to church with you. Uh, but, and so, I, so we do that all the time. But I really want to encourage you next month, people will respond and come to church during the holiday season, whether it's Christmas or Easter, uh, more than they would normally. And so if you've got someone that you know that needs to be in church, needs to hear the gospel, you begin inviting them now to be here with you next week and in the following weeks of December. And here's what I can promise you. I guarantee you that every Sunday that they come next month, they are going to hear the story of Jesus. They're going to hear about the gospel. They're going to hear about the cross. They're going to hear about the resurrection. They're going to hear about that the blood of Jesus is the only way that we can be forgiven of sin. So we want to partner with you. If you've got a friend that's lost as can be, doesn't know Jesus, and, 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 and you're trying to figure out how am I going to, to talk to them about the gospel, we want to partner with you in that. So you bring them here, and we'll start the conversation. We'll put the information out there. You, me and Donnie are going are to teach part of this uh, series next month. We're, we promise that we'll start the conversation for you, and then it's up to you to continue to pick that up, to take them to El Mariachi after church and say, hey, so what do you think? You know, what, what do you think about what Cliff said? Or you know, wherever it is that you want to go in. So, all right, so today we're going to be in the, in the book of Philippians chapter 2. So go ahead and, and find Philippians 2. And uh, you can pull that up on your electronic Bible or in your Bible that has pages one way or the other. Philippians 2, and we're going to be reading verses 14 through 18. And, uh, and we're going to be talking about that. Now, before, before I read those verses to you, uh, I want to just say that today's message uh, is a message that I am teaching to myself as much as I'm teaching it to you. This is not something that I have a handle on. I'm not teaching you today saying that I'm an expert in what I'm going to talk about. In fact, what I'm teaching you today is probably a message that I need to hear myself maybe more than you even need to hear. And so as I was preparing it, uh, the Holy Spirit was speaking into my heart about junk that's going on in here. And I'm going to just, just throw all that out in front of you right now. We're all just going to enjoy looking at it together. But, but uh, So I want you to know that, that I'm not an expert on what I'm going to talk to you about today. And also want you to know that, that I think that it's a, a vital message for the culture we live in. I, I don't know when this happened or if, or if things have really changed or if I'm just becoming more sensitive in my, as, I, as I begin to get older. Uh, but it seems to me that, that we uh, live in a culture that's more negative now than it's ever been. Just our society is negative. 
and there seems to be more people who want to be upset about more things, and it doesn't even have to be big things. And it, it, it just seems like everywhere you turn that, that there's just this negativity, there's this, there's this uh, critical nature that we live in in our society. I, I can remember a time when you could actually vote for a candidate and you didn't have to hate the other candidate, but that doesn't exist now. Now you vote for someone and you can't just vote for them. You have to believe that the other candidate is the spawn of Satan and that if they're elected, that they're somehow secretly going to destroy our country and, and, and that they're a terrible, terrible person. I, I can remember a time when, when you could pull for a football team and you didn't have to believe that the other school was a terrible school. It just meant you didn't particularly like their athletics. But now, we, if you're a, you pull for a team, you have to be happy when all the other players on that team get injured and when they go to the NFL and flame out and then you want the, the whole university to burn down. It just seems like that's the, that's the nature of the culture we live in. And, and if you turn on the TV, if you, if you turn on the radio, or if you, if you look online, you see that. It's just everywhere. It seems like it, people are, are just chomping at the bit to tell you something that they're upset about and why they're upset and how it's ruining their life. And we just are constantly surrounded by that. And it can be overwhelming. And the thing about that kind of culture and society that we live in that's dangerous is that uh, one of the things that I've, I've learned over the years in just dealing with people and dealing with groups of people is that a negative attitude always spreads faster and easier than a positive attitude. I don't know why that is. A negative attitude spreads faster than whatever Ebola or strep throat or whatever. It just spreads so fast. And a positive attitude, it seems like it takes a long time for a positive attitude to gain traction. So as followers of Jesus, if we say that we're We've been transformed, we've been changed by Jesus, and that, and that we're supposed to live as followers of him. How do we respond to that? How, how do we live in that type of society? Well, the Apostle Paul, in Philippians chapter 2, now remember when Paul wrote this, Paul was in prison. And so he was at a pretty low point in his life. This was not the best, this was not his plan. He never set out to be a prisoner, but here he was, he's in prison. And he's writing this letter, and he's encouraging the people who are not in prison, the people who have their freedom, and he says to them, talks to them about how they should live. And look at what he says, beginning in verse 14. I'm going to read Philippians 2, 14 through 18, and he says this. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom... You shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Well, Paul makes it clear right off the bat in verse 14 that this negative culture, this negative thing that we've got going on in our society is nothing new. That this has been a problem for years and years and years. It's a human nature problem. It's a sin nature problem. We know as human beings that all of us are created in the image of God, but we've been broken by sin. 
And so we've got a sin nature that lives in us that battles against, if you're a follower of Jesus, the sin nature battles against the, 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 the Holy Spirit that lives in you. It battles against the image of God which you have created to, to be like God. And so, so we've got this problem. And so since the beginning of time, probably in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were you know, complaining to each other right after she bit the apple. That was probably one of the first things that happened. As soon as sin entered the world, people started complaining. And so this is nothing new. That's this what, what we're dealing with here today. And But, but what, what is Paul talking about here when he talks about it? He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. What do those two things mean? Well, well, grumbling is the idea behind the word grumbling is that is a, uh, that is a secret or, 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 or a... Uh, Something you've got displeasure in that you haven't openly said yet. And what I mean you haven't openly said it, you haven't gone to the source of the displeasure. Now, you've said it a lot to the people around you, but you haven't gone to them. And so maybe depending on your passage of Scripture, I mean uh, your, your translation of Scripture, instead of grumbling, maybe it might say murmuring or it might say complaining. And so when I was in school, I was, the, I was great at grumbling uh, to my teachers. And uh, what I would do is, I can remember one class in particular, it was my English class in the 10th grade, and I had a teacher that I didn't like a whole lot, and, um, and it wasn't her fault, it was my fault. And, uh, well, maybe I don't know, no, it, was, it was my fault, it really was my fault. And, uh, and I had a couple guys that sat around me, one guy, Ronnie, was on one side of me, and Greg was on the other side, and, and me and Ronnie and Greg, we never uh, did anything in there, but we would just make fun of the teacher and make fun of the class under our breath. We were grumbling. We were murmuring. And she would say things like, okay, remember, you know, by this Friday, I need to know what the thesis of your term paper is going to be. And I would, you know, murmur over to Ronnie. I'd say, how about this for a thesis? English is stupid. So are you. You know, but, you know, just constantly, you know, and then sometimes it would get worse than that, things that I shouldn't say from stage. And so we were, we were great at grumbling about English. We were great at murmuring about that. Now, and Paul says to do everything without grumbling or disputing. Now, what is disputing? Well, disputing there, the idea behind that is, is disputing is when you, you there's an unchangeable truth. It's something that's true, that, that God has established as true. There's an unchangeable truth, and you are questioning the unchangeable truth of God. That's what disputing is. And so, for instance, uh, 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 you know, something that you might be able to relate to. When I was growing up, I lived in a household that had rules. I know sometimes people grow up in homes without rules. I lived in a home with rules. And there were some unchangeable truths that I couldn't do anything about. And one of the unchangeable truths at our house is we had a curfew. And so when I left the house, my dad expected me to be home by a certain time. And sometimes I would dispute the curfew. Sometimes I would question the unchangeable truth of curfew at the Marshall House. And I would say things like, yeah, but I understand everybody else gets to stay out as late as they want. And, and uh, my friends don't have to come in by this time and all that kind of stuff. And my dad would just listen to all that. And he would say, you need to be home by this time. Which is basically saying, shut up, stupid kid. Quit disputing the unchangeable truth. And so, so Paul is saying here that we're supposed to do everything, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, I, let me just say, this is good advice for every part of your life. When Paul says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, this is great for where you work. It's really good for where you work. And some of you are the boss of where you work. And you're listening to this, you're saying, yes, Cliff, 
This is great. My people that work under me need to remember this, right? And uh, this is great for where you work. This is great for where you go to school. If you're a high school, middle school student, college student, listen, all that grumbling that I did in, in 10th grade English class, it didn't do me any good, I'll tell you that. And it didn't do Ronnie or Greg any good either. And so this is great for where you go to school. This is really, really, really great advice for a marriage. Or if you're a kid, it's really great advice for dealing with your parents. Because let me tell you something. We don't want to hear your grumbling anymore. Or your disputing. We're tired of it. Can I get an amen, parents? Yeah. So this is good advice for all parts of life. And that's why Paul says there, do all things without grumbling or disputing. And let me tell you what the Greek, the, 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 I've done a deep study of this. The Greek word behind all things, you know what it means? It means all things. It means exactly what it says there. So when Paul says do all things without grumbling or disputing, he's talking about every area of our life. But I want to I put this in the context that Paul was writing this letter. Who was Paul writing this letter to? He was writing this letter to a church. This, is, this was a letter written to a specific church about specific situations that were going on. And so think about this in terms of church. Now, all of you here, you're here today. Some of you, this is your church home. This is, this is where you plug in. This is where you serve. This is where you give. And you've said, this is our place. This is where we want to be. And so what does this mean when Paul says to a church, do all things without grumbling or disputing? Why does, why does Paul even need to say that to a church? I mean, this is church, right? They, they, we're a gathering of people that are, that are living life in community, that have been transformed by Jesus. We've all been forgiven of great sins, and so we're forgiving each other of great sins. We've experienced the unconditional love of Jesus, so we're freely giving the unconditional love of Jesus to each other. There's never any disputes. There's never any misunderstandings. There's never any negative or critical attitudes. Why in the world would Paul even send this letter to a church? And those of you that have been in church very long know that I'm being sarcastic. I've been in church my whole life, 45 years. I've been on church staff for 25 of those 45 years. And I can tell you that we as a church need to hear this command, do all things without grumbling or disputing. It happens in church just like it happens anywhere else. There's, a, there's an old joke, and I've already told this to my life group, so y'all laugh real loud like it's funny for me. Just set me up like group if y'all help me out with this. But there's this old joke about this guy who was marooned on a desert island, and he lived on this desert island for 25 years, and, and finally they, they found him, they rescued him, and, and it was this amazing story. When they got there, there were three structures on the island that were made out of like bamboo and palm branches, and so they started talking, they said, man, what are these, great, what are these things you've built? He said, well, this is my house, this is where I live, and I built that first, and and, and this second one, this is a church. I, I wanted to build a place to worship, so I built a church building. They said, okay, well, what's that third building? He said, well, that's the church I built when I got tired of those people at that first church. That I built. <laughs> and the, and the, the reason why that's funny is because it's true. Those of you that have grown up in church, you know that that's true. That a, that a, that a, a negative critical attitude can grow at church just like it grows everywhere else. And so we're supposed to, as followers of Jesus... As a church, Paul is, is commanding us that we're supposed to do all things without grumbling or disputing. We're supposed to live differently than, than, than we're living when we do that stuff. Now, why are we supposed to do that? Is it Will it make our lives better? Yes. Let me tell you something. If, if you're a part of a church and, and there's, a, there's a time period 
where there's no grumbling or disputing. And I'm, I'm just going to say, if you're a part of a church and it's got more than like seven people in it, there's grumbling and disputing at some point in the history of that church. But maybe there's a time period where there's no grumbling and disputing. Everybody is happy. It's, it's Christmas Eve service. And just, you know, that's the time everybody's happy because they're going home and they're going to open presents. Everybody's happy for one day at church and there's no grumbling or disputing, right? And, and so when it's like that, that's an amazing thing for us because, because the worship is better, your service with each other is better, the relationships are better, all that stuff is good. But, but we're, not, we're not commanded by Paul to do all things without grumbling or disputing just for us. He doesn't tell us to do all things without grumbling or disputing just so that we'll be happier when we come to church. When you get to verse 15, he talks about why are we supposed to do this. It says this. Let me read it to you again. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. See, the reason that it's so important that as far as of Jesus, we put negative, critical attitudes aside and we stop grumbling, we stop disputing with one another is because there is a generation of people outside of these walls that need the gospel. They need the story of Jesus. And if we can put that aside and we can stop grumbling and disputing, then when we go out into the world, we will be blameless and innocent. We will be seen as different and we will be able to shine as lights in the world. We will, we will be a shining light. We will be different than what they see out there. That negative culture and society that I've talked about that we live in, that, that we will be able to stand out because all of a sudden we're not the same as everyone else. See, our focus is not on ourselves. Our focus should be on them. What do they need? And what they need is they need a, an army of people to come out of the church who are positive, who are not grumbling, who are not disputing. And, and in verse uh, 15 there, let me read that again. It's interesting. What Paul says, he says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. So he describes the people who are outside of the faith, who, who do not have Jesus. They are a crooked and twisted generation that because they don't have anything to, to, to hold on to. So they're, so they're not blameless and innocent. They're crooked and twisted. Let me tell you another time in the scripture when that exact terminology was used. If you go all the way back to the Old Testament. You go all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 32.5 says this. Let me read it to you. It says, They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Exact same words used to describe somebody. Now, who is, who is the Bible describing there? Right there, the people that are being described are the Israelites. And well, let me tell you what had happened little history lesson. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt. Maybe you've heard the story. In fact, there's a new movie coming out about Moses called Gods and Kings or something. I saw the trailer for the other day. I'm not promoting it. I have no idea if it's biblically accurate or not. I'm just telling you that there's one coming out. And so it's got Batman. Batman plays Moses. <laughs> not with the suit on though anymore. He's dressed like Moses. And so, uh, so anyway, uh, so, so they're, in, they're in Egypt, right? And, and, and they're slaves in Egypt. And, uh, and, and, and it's bad, okay? Being a slave, I've never been one, but it's really bad news what was going on. They were having to work for no money. They were, you know, it, it was bad news. It was terrible. And so they were under oppression. And God sends Moses 
to, to go to Pharaoh, who was the leader of Egypt. He was like the king of Egypt. And he goes to Pharaoh and he says, you got to let these folks go. And of course, you know, the, you, maybe you don't, but the story goes, Pharaoh wouldn't let them go. And he said, okay, he would, and then he would, and then he would, and then he wouldn't. And God sent all these, these plagues on Egypt, crazy stuff like frogs everywhere and gnats and turning water to blood, just wild, crazy stuff going on. And, and after all that, finally, Pharaoh relents and, he, and, he, and the people leave Egypt. He sends them out and at the last minute he says, no, go get them. You know, we can't let all of our, our, uh, our labor force leave. And, and so he sends the, sends the army to get them. God opens up an ocean and splits it in half. And the Israelites go across and the ocean closes. I mean, it's just this miraculous stuff. And so they get on the other side of the ocean. And, and now they're, they're, they're getting to the place where God has promised years ago. God promised a guy named Abraham many, many years before Moses. And he said, there's this area of the world that's going to be yours. And so they've called this the promised land. And so they're heading to the promised land. And they're looking forward to getting to the promised land. And they get right to the edge of the promised land. And, and Moses says, all right, we're going we're gonna to plan this thing out. We're not going to just walk in and, and try to attack these people, even though God said this land is ours. So they send some spies into the promised land. And the spies come back. And two out of the, spy, out of the, out of the, the group of spies that went, two of them say, man, this is awesome. This is the land God gave us. We're going to go in. We're going to take it. You know, by this afternoon, we're going to be cooking out and eating hot dogs in this land. Let's go. Let's get in there. But then the, the, the rest of the spies, which was the majority, they came in and said, no, oh, it's so scary. The people are so big. We'll never be able to take this land. And so here's what happens when that, when that happens. After that report comes back, the people of Israel, they start to grumble. And they start to dispute the truth of God. See, God has already promised them this land. This is unchangeable truth. He said, this is yours. But they start saying, are, are, we, are we sure that this is what we're supposed to do? Did God really say that we're supposed to go in there? And then they start to grumble, and they start to grumble against the leadership. Moses nearly doesn't know what he's doing. And they start to grumble among themselves and say, it would have been better off if we'd have still been slaves. When we were slaves, we always had plenty to eat, which is not true. When we were slaves, we, everything was better there, which was not true. And so they start to grumble, and they start to dispute. And so, so check this out. Here they are. They're on the edge of the greatest event in the history of Israel up to that point. This was something that had been looked forward to. This is something that, and God had taken care of them. He had miraculously put them here. And when they get to the edge of it, you know what stops them? You know what derails the progress and it stops everything cold? It's not an invading army. It wasn't a natural disaster. It wasn't some kind of disease that swept in. The thing that stopped them were words and attitudes. Something so small. See, what happens in church is that if, if we don't do what Paul has commanded us to do here, if we don't stop rumbling and disputing, then our words, which we don't think are that big of a deal, they can stop the progress of what God wants to do. They can derail us from going where God wants us to go. And we'll say things like, well, I just, I just need to vent to somebody, so I'm just telling my friends. Or we'll say things like, when I get frustrated, things just come out. 
And so what God did was he said, all you grumblers, all you complainers, all you people arguing, all you people disputing, none of you will go into the promised land. There's only two people that are alive today that are not children that will go into the promised land. And those are the two spies that came back and said, yeah, it's ours. We'll, we'll take it. They'll live long enough to see it. The rest of you, you're going to all die. And then the next generation will go in and take the promised land. So check this out. That means the, the promise of God was delayed by an entire generation just because people were grumbling and disputing. Now, why is that, why is that such a big deal to God? Doesn't it seem like God's overreacting there? God, what's the big deal? He just people running their mouths. That's what people do. Because you know what Jesus said in the book of Matthew? He said, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It wasn't just about what they were saying. It was revealing what was in their heart. What was in their heart was they were saying, we don't trust God enough. Even though God split an ocean in half, even though God spent a bunch of, sent a bunch of plagues, even though God has freed us and he's taken care of us all to this point and brought us here, we don't trust him enough to take us the next step. And I wonder, this is what I wonder. I wonder how many churches there are today across this country that got to the edge of where God wanted them to go, got to the edge of them taking the next step of doing things that they never thought they could do, doing things that would make a bigger impact for the gospel than they ever imagined, and the, the, the progress was derailed, the progress was stopped because people started to dispute the power of God, and they started to grumble and murmur among themselves that maybe this wasn't what they were supposed to do. And maybe there are churches out there today that an entire generation of people have to die before that church will ever be able to be the church that God wanted it to be in the first place. That's why Paul, that's why this was such a big deal to Paul. When he says, do everything without grumbling and disputing, he understood what was at stake. He understood the power of words. You know, the book of James in the New Testament, uh, Jesus' brother James, he wrote this book. And, and in the book of James, James says that, that the tongue is a powerful thing. In fact, the tongue is one of the smallest parts of the body, but it's one of the most powerful parts of the body. And he says that just like a, a rudder on a ship is one of the smallest parts on the, on the ship, it can steer the whole ship. Or just like you put a bit in the mouth of a horse, which is about that big, it can make that horse go wherever you want that horse to go. And said so the tongue is the same way, that if our tongue is out of control, it means that we have a problem in our heart and if our heart is disputing the truth of God then it means that we're not following him as close as we should or we're not going where he wants us to go so Paul says that instead of grumbling and disputing we're supposed to look at verse 15 again if we do all things without grumbling and disputing then in verse 15 he says then you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation now look at the difference there between what the lack of grumbling and disputing will make us, and if it's in our life will make us. If we're not grumbling and disputing, it says that we can be blameless and innocent, which is the exact opposite of crooked and twisted. We can be blameless before men, blameless before those on the outside, that our words will never uh, 
do, our words will never put us in a position for folks on the outside of the church to say, I don't want to be a part of that church. We'll be blameless before men and we'll be innocent before God because what's coming out of our mouths reflects what's in our heart and our heart is pure. Now, I'm not saying that we can always be perfect. I'm not saying that you're never going to have a bad day. But what Paul is saying there, we need to get in the habit of being positive with our speech. We need to get in the habit of, of not talking to the people around us about what upsets us. But if you've got a legitimate issue that something needs to be dealt with, you go to the source. You don't go anywhere else but the source. Because all this other talk, all it does is it causes problems and it slows down the progress of a people or the progress of a church. And then the most important part, I think, of verse 15, as he says there, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Listen to this. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. See, we have an opportunity to be an example to people who don't know Jesus. And I got some statistics the other day that blew my mind. See, we live up here, and if you grew, how many of you grew up in the upstate or grew up in the Greer, Greenville area? Raise your hand. Okay, let me tell you what, what, what chances are is in your mind, and I'm not saying this to accuse anybody, I'm just saying I've lived here for 20 years, and so this is in my mind. We get to a point up here that we think everybody is saved because there's churches everywhere. But I, I got some statistics the other day. Did you know that three out of four people in the state of South Carolina, it's no different than the upstate and the other parts of the state. Three out of four people don't know Jesus. Three out of four. It's all those Yankees moving in. It's who it is. <laughs> those of us who've lived here our whole lives, we know Jesus. No, I'm just kidding. And if you're here and you moved in from up north, God bless you. Everybody. We need more of y'all here. Um, but just don't tell us how to drive in the ice. Okay, we're never going to learn. It's okay. <laughs> But three out of four people around where we live don't know Jesus. And so we have an opportunity. Paul says that, that if we will do all things without grumbling and disputing, then we can go out into the world. We can shine as lights in the world. And that's never been more true than it is today because of the fact that we live in this negative culture, this negative society. If we go out and we're not murmuring and we're not complaining and we're not disputing unchangeable truth, we're going to stand out. People are going to notice us because we're going to be totally different than everything else that you see out there. And when he says there, shine as lights in the in the world, I, I love that because all through the New Testament, the, the way the New Testament writers describe the world is they describe the world as a dark place. They say that Jesus is the light, the church is the light that, that, that Jesus is working through, but he says the world is a dark place that needs the light. And so like in Matthew 5, 16, Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. One of the ways we can do that, one of the ways we can let our light shine before others is that the words that we use, the attitudes that we have, especially about our church, about what's going on here, that when we talk about that outside these walls, they're always positive words. They're always words of encouragement. And people are going to notice that something is different. In, in 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul wrote this. He said, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, uh, God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. So he says, we are the ambassadors of Christ. You know what an ambassador does when he's sent to a foreign country? He represents the country that he's from. So if you're a U.S. ambassador to the, to the nation of, 
uh, I don't know, uh, Scotland, and you go to Scotland and you're there as the ambassador to the U.S., you're talking about how great the United States is. You don't go to Scotland and say, you know, where I'm from, it really stinks over there. Those guys don't know what they're doing. I don't understand what the, they're talking about making this plan to do this. This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. You don't do that if you're an ambassador. If you're an ambassador, you, you go there and you represent things well. And we're ambassadors for Christ. And if we walk out these doors and then we go to church and we start talking about, I really can't stand my pastor at my church, or I don't understand why they're trying to do this or trying to do that. It doesn't make any sense to me. You're not being an ambassador. Ambassador, you're, you're tearing down what, what you're supposed to be representing. And so Paul says there that we go out, we go out without grumbling, we go out without disputing, and then when we do that, we'll be blameless and innocent, and we'll be able to shine and be an example of what Jesus and the, the unconditional love of Jesus to people who need to see that. There was a couple that I knew of one time that, um, that, that had a, a friend, a couple that they were friends with, and this couple that they were friends with, the, the woman was a believer, but the man was not. He, he did not believe in Jesus. He was just as lost as he could be. He was a good guy, worked hard, uh, was a, a, a good father and a good husband, but he, he didn't, didn't believe in Jesus. And he needed to know about Jesus. And so this couple was very concerned about this friend of theirs, this man, and, and the woman was a follow Jesus, and she would go to church with this couple. And uh, But here's the deal. This couple, they uh, they, they had been to uh, three different churches that I knew of, and, uh, and they had talked bad about, I know two out of the three. And they had, I mean, really talked bad. They, they talked bad, bad, bad about one of them all the time, and ran it down, ran down the pastor and all that. So they finally, the people at that church got aggravated with them and told them they needed to shut up, so they came to another church, and they started to do that, and they were there for a while, and things were good, and then they started to do that at the next church. And they didn't like this, and they didn't like that, and this wasn't right, and that wasn't right, and all this kind of stuff. But then the whole time they're doing this, they're saying to both of the churches, hey, we really need to pray for this guy. He needs Jesus, and, and we need to try to build relationships with him, and we need to get him to come to church and all this stuff. And I was sitting there thinking, I'll tell you what, why don't you quit talking bad about church all the time, and maybe he'll want to come. Why don't you talk good about your pastor and maybe he'll want to meet your pastor? Why, why, why don't you represent Jesus the way you're supposed to represent, represent Jesus and quit worrying about the fact that this guy doesn't have a relationship with anybody in church? Because I, I don't know what that guy was thinking, but if I was him, this is what I would have been thinking. Man, if that's the way people at church act, I'll just go to work because everybody at work acts like that there. At least there I get paid. Why am I going to spend my Sundays with a bunch of people who are murmuring and complaining about what's going on there. They must not really be excited about it. See, we have an opportunity to go out and, we, and, and, and be an example to folks of the way life should be. Be an example of the way believers are supposed to speak to one another and speak about the church. I told you at the beginning of the message that this was, message was for me as much as it was for you because... Here's the thing, it is very easy for any of us to drift into a grumbling, murmuring, and disputing lifestyle. Nobody that I know ever made it their goal to be great at complaining. I don't know anyone who said, you know, one of the things I want to do when I graduate from high school, by the time I'm 40, I want people to know me as a very negative, <laughs> critical, and complaining person. No one ever says that. That's never anyone's goal in life. 
But we get there. We get there a lot of times. And, and maybe you don't live in it all the time, but maybe you drift in and out of it. Sometimes that's what I do. I drift in and out. And sometimes I find myself being like the Israelites. God has done so much for me, but I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, but you ain't going to do anything else. I can't dispute that stuff you did, but I don't believe, I believe this is it. The blessings are over. I'm on my own from here on out, God. And, and we get like that. And, and so how do, we, how do we fight that off? Well, in verse 16, Paul says this. After he says, do all things without grumbling disputing, so that you may shine the lights of the world, and he says this, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Holding fast to the word of life. See, the Bible that you're holding there in your hand or that you're reading on the screen, that is truth. Indisputable, unchangeable truth. And it's the only pure truth that we have. Even what I'm telling you today can be messed up by my, you know, crazy ideas. It can be messed up by my attitude or the fact that I had something bad for supper, you know, a couple days ago and it's still making my stomach feel bad or whatever. But, but the Word of God is unchangeable, undisputable truth. You read that and you know that's unvarnished. It is what it is. Paul says if we will hold fast to the teachings in the Bible, if we will put more of that into our lives, it will change our attitudes. See, our attitudes will naturally veer towards negativity. Our attitudes will naturally veer towards grumbling, murmuring, complaining, disputing, all that kind of stuff. But if we will continue to put more of the Word in, then it will transform us. I've got a picture here of a, of a thing that used to be in our Anybody ever seen one of those? That is a dude who has who has put like sulfuric acid in his eyeballs, and uh, and and his chemistry teacher said, "Go to the eye wash." Right now, I when I was in chemistry in high school, I was in chemistry for dumb kids, so we never got to do anything fun. We never had to worry about the eye wash. But I know there was like these smart kids that they did stuff like that would really hurt you, and uh, and they had these things. I remember them in our chemistry labs in high school. And their eye washer, we used to go over there and push the button to make the water squirt out, but we weren't allowed to use it. But what it does is, if you're in a chemistry lab and, and you get something in your eyes, you go there and you just push that. And all that's coming out of that is regular old tap water like that you boil a pot of water with. It's nothing fancy. But what it does is it flushes out the other stuff. And see, I think that that's the way the Word of God acts in our lives when it comes to negative attitudes and stuff. Is that, that we've got that stuff, it's become a part of our lives, and maybe we don't even realize it. And that when we read the Word of God, it, it begins to flush that stuff out. And, and the more of this eye, the more of this water that you put in your eyes, the, the more of the bad stuff's going to get flushed out until eventually you can see clearly again. And it's the exact same way with the Word of God. The more of the Word of God you're putting into your life on a daily basis, not just showing up here and listening to me read verses 14 through 18 of Philippians 2, but you reading it every single day, the more of that you put into your life, it's going to begin to flush out those negative attitudes which are naturally going to pop up from time to time because life is hard. And when those things come up, you begin to put more and more of the Word in and it flushes that stuff out and then all of a sudden you begin to be able to see clearly you can be able to see that God has not abandoned. You can be able to see that, yeah, maybe your church is, is trying to, to do some difficult stuff, but, but maybe that's exactly what God wants to do. We need to all get on board and do that, whatever it is. And so you need to put more and more 
of the word of God into your life. In fact, Paul says there in verse 16 that you need to, he says, holding fast to the word of life. Holding on to it like it's a life preserver. I'm going to pray here in just a second. The band's going to come up. Um, but as we do that, I want you to think about a couple things. So if you're taking notes, maybe you want to write these, these things down. Um, one of the things that I, I want you to think about is, like I mentioned a while ago, we all, from time to time, we have uh, a tendency to, to start grumbling and disputing. I don't think any of us are immune to that. And, and I think one of the things that you, we all need to do is we need to, we need to recognize our potential for negativity. We need to recognize that in our lives. And if, if you're the kind of person that says, no, I'm never negative, I'm, I'm never a negative person, chances are you're um, maybe not being completely realistic, I don't know. Um, recognize our potential for negativity. And maybe if you want to really get radical, ask someone that you trust that knows you, hey, generally, am I a negative or positive person? Be ready, buckle up. They might say, dude, you're the most negative person I know. In fact, I hate talking to you. I don't want to be your friend anymore. No, I mean, get ready. And then, and then the next thing is, and this is whether you are a person that drifts into negativity a lot or not, up your word intake. You need more of the word. And I can tell you that not knowing anything. If you walk in today, I've never met you before, I can tell you you need more of the word. And it's one thing that you can't get enough of. I've never talked to anyone where they describe their life where I want to say, hey, whoa, you need, you need to hold on. You're reading way too much about You need to chill out on that a little bit. Take in some more television. <laughs> Reality TV. So, so up your word intake. Recognize your potential for negativity. Up your word intake. I'm going to pray for us. Hey, I hope I didn't beat you up too much today. Again, like I said, I'm right there with you. Um, it's just it's just hard being a human being sometimes. And, uh, and we don't react to things like we're supposed to. So let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for how the Bible is so relevant to what's going on in our lives today. And I pray that you would help all of us. To remember the good things that you've blessed us with. To be aware of the unconditional love and forgiveness that you poured out on us. To recognize the fact that being able to be a part of the church and gather together is, is something that not everyone can do. And instead of grumbling or murmuring about that or complaining about that, we should celebrate should look forward to being, being with our brothers and sisters. I pray that you begin that in my heart. That we would all be people who shine as lights in a dark, dark world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.